This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'm your host. And here to help take your leadership to the next level is Dr. Richard Blackaby. Well, I only do what I can, Sam. Well, we appreciate what you <laughs> I can can't do. Any miracles? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, it's baby steps. We'll get there in the end, hopefully. Um, well, every once in a while, we like to dive into a leadership book, mm-hmm. and uh, those have taken various forms uh, over the course of this podcast. We've we've even uh, most recently looked at a novel and uh, a classic literature and and even how that can help inform our leadership. And today we're looking at one that perhaps uh, maybe isn't considered a leadership book, um, but I think is very, uh, very much important and can be very influential on your leadership. And it's really more of a textbook. It's kind of heavy, heavy slogging, but it's, uh, it's worth the read. And that's Thinking Fast and Slow um, by Daniel Kahneman. So, uh, Richard, first of all, um, why why did you pick this book? And uh, I think it was maybe on your list back at the beginning of the year to read, to get through. So you yeah. at least hit one of those books on uh, your list. And... I think you maybe had recommended it to me too, Sam. Uh, but, I think uh, I did. Finally got to that on the list. It's about 500 pages, so it's uh, and it's pretty dense with a lot of yeah. uh, scientific studies, which are can be interesting, you know, uh, sometimes... Uh, it's almost like this guy has, and he's, uh, an, I think he's won a Nobel Prize uh, and, uh, and he, in economics. And so he's got, he's has a lifetime of study and he puts a mm-hmm. lot of his findings all in between these uh, two covers here of the book. But, yeah. but uh, basically what he wants to do is try to help us um, reflect on how we actually make decisions. Of course, that's something that leaders do all the time. Uh, and we think that we make rational decisions based on the facts, uh, but uh, he pr- provides a lot of uh, troubling evidence to show that perhaps we don't think as rationally as we would like to think that we do. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, he and he does uh, several things. He he talks about two systems of thinking, and and he's quick to say this is not necessarily, he's not talking about two parts of your brain that have different functions and so on, but he, he basically just kind of uses this as a way to get a handle on the fact that, that there's two ways in which we think, and of course that's where we think fast and we think slow, and he calls it just system one is uh, how we think quickly, and and we have to think quickly because, uh, for instance, he, he'll give the example, if you go and get in your car, you can't stop every time you stand outside your car and have to think through, okay, now how do I open this door? How do I get in? Yeah. Do I, okay, I, what am I supposed to, oh yeah, I've got to put on my seatbelt and, you know, and, and just, there's so many things that we just do instinctively as we drive that we don't even really think about. It was just, it, we've done it so often that uh, there, the, the, our system one kind of way of thinking just automatically does what needs to be done. And it's if, almost a reflex, I think, yeah, in some ways. Yeah, and because of that, and, and we have to do it that way, otherwise we'd be so bogged down every time uh, and a lot of it is just based on memory and previous experience. And, uh, and we often have to just come to some very quick conclusions. You know, the, the light turns yellow and in a split second, we decide usually to go for it. Punch it. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but, but we have to, we, we can't 
agonize about that and weigh the pros and cons. And, you know, it's, it, you've got to just decide. And based on all of your previous experience, we, we do that. And then there's the thinking slow part, which is the more rational look, weighing the evidence and, uh, a and, lot more deliberation. Yeah. And, uh, there thinking. are times where, um, we, we, we definitely need to think more carefully about it. We don't need to just say the first thought that comes to our mouth. And, uh, uh, because there are times where we need, and, and this, this involves more complex thought where you can't just, uh, just instantly just come up with an answer. This is going to take some, you know, doing some math. It's going to take some reflecting and some research. And, uh, and so he says that we, we, we like to think that it's that system two way of thinking that guides us in at least most of our major thoughts. But what he does is demonstrate with lots and lots of different psychological scientific studies throughout the years that um, oftentimes what, what he says is our system two way of thinking is quite lazy. And so it can save mm -hmm. us at times when it works, but often, but it, it's lazy. And so it's going to tend to just go with the simplest answer. Um, yeah. it, as long as this is sort of a reasonable explanation, uh, system two doesn't necessarily want to go to the library or do a lot of research. It just if system one comes up with a plausible explanation for something, then system two oftentimes just goes with it and says that's fine. And uh, the, but the problem is that, uh, and, he, and he'll say most of the time, our system one way of thinking is accurate uh, because it's just based on years of experience. And there's just lots of things we do, like just getting dressed in the morning, just shaving or whatever we're doing, driving to work. Uh, it's so instinctive that. Um, it, it, we, we need to find ways to save as much time as possible. And, and he does give a lot of evidence to show that, um, a lot of our thinking, it takes energy to think. And especially if we're going to start trying to solve problems and think deeply. And so we only have so much bandwidth for that. And mm -hmm. so our mind is just naturally trying to take shortcuts and anywhere where we can just kind of uh, just kind of cut to the chase on things. Our mind prefers to do that just so it can save energy for things that really takes a lot of energy. But uh, I, there's just a number of things, a number of um, things he points out that I think um, are just interesting uh, to, to consider. Uh, one is he just talks about the fact that luck plays a large role, he says, uh, in every story of success, it's almost always easy to identify a small change in the story that would have turned a remarkable achievement into a mediocre outcome. And so he does tend to say that uh, we, we don't value luck enough. Um, and so, for instance, if someone comes up with a new product at just the right time when that's exactly what was needed, and the person makes a series of pretty smart decisions that all tend to work out his way, um, then he, then he's held up as a guru and a genius. It might have been his timing was just perfect. You know, others yeah. had tried to the same thing a generation earlier and they were just too soon. And, uh, but the markets were just right yeah. and he just happened to get the right financer and so on. And, and so, uh, it's not that people don't make some good choices, but, uh, 
but some but we often underestimate just pure luck and and uh, he'll he'll get to that there's a uh, there, there, he has an interesting uh, phrase that he uses about uh, just re, uh, returning to the to the mean, and I thought that was uh, he, he has kind of an interesting discussion about that because one of the things he's going to talk about is um, just the fact that uh, we we want to always uh, come up with a story. We we our mind works in stories. Mm-hmm. It's an easy way to ret- to hold on to stuff. And so we're always trying to find a story that explains things. And, uh, but oftentimes those, those simple stories really don't do justice to the facts. And so, for instance, uh, he might say that, uh, that uh, Paul, you know, he, he gives kind of the example early on of thinking that when, uh, politicians just tend to be more susceptible to like adultery, for instance, and, uh, and he says, you know, we and and you can come up with a story for that. Well, they're just driven by power, and and that can express itself in adultery. And they they like to take risks, and they're full of themselves, and and all of this this leads to commit adultery that maybe an ordinary person wouldn't. And 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 you can make a, a great case, and it can sound very compelling why politicians are just more susceptible to adultery than other people. But he says, if you actually look at the statistics, they're not any any more adulterous than mm-hmm. other people. But he says, um, but the story sort of fits. It and, sticks. And, and, and he yeah. says, but some of the problem is that politicians who commit adultery tend to get on the news a lot more than plumbers who get commit adultery. And so we just know, we hear more examples yeah. of that. And it can be the press talks about it longer. And because we've heard more about them, we assume that, uh, well, then that, that just must be more common for them. And and he might say, well, there's actually, if you, if you just look at the numbers, it's not that way. It's just that by what we've heard, how the press has dealt with things, um, by the conversation around the water coolers, um, yeah. we, we have the impression of something that's actually not true. And, uh, and he just has a number of different examples. For instance, I'll just, just mention a couple of the studies just to kind of show uh, what it's talking about. For instance, he'll say um, that they'll do, they've done a study where uh, they'll have people read through a list of words. And for instance, um, in, in one group, uh, there might be a list of words that suggests old age. Now it won't say old age. It might say something like Florida some, or retirement or uh, Medicare or, you know, like it, it just might be kind of subtle words that it never yeah. says old people, but Wrinkles. Yeah, yeah, just certain words that you, it, it makes you just naturally associate think with you associate with old age. Right. Yeah. And then after they've done that, then they'll ask people just to walk down a hallway to the, supposedly to their next assignment. But what they do is they measure the, the, the pace in which people walk down the hallway. And the, the people that had words maybe associated with youth, they literally walk down the hallway faster than people whose words associated with old age. Now, the, the people themselves are all basically the same age. There's, there's, they can all walk the same speed. But literally, if you just were uh, exposed to words suggesting old age, mm-hmm. the people literally walk slower mm. down a hallway. Um, they did another study where they were, they were going to measure people's view of their of their life like how how happy are you how good is your life 
And so they, they said, uh, but first, would you just go make a photocopy of this questionnaire that we're going to use? We're a little short. Could you just go make, just go get a copy on the, on the photocopiers right over there? So uh, some of the people would go over there, make a photocopy, come back. Then they'd fill out the questionnaire. You know, how good is your life? How happy are you about your life? And so on. But some of the people that when they went to make a photocopy, they'd find a dime sitting on the, co the, the copier, like a dime had been left. And so they'd pick it up and, oh, you know, I found a dime. Now, it's just 10 cents, right? It's not like your whole world, it's not going to necessarily help you make your mortgage payment. Uh, it was just 10 cents. But literally, people that found a dime and then turned around and rated the happiness of their life, rated it higher on average than people that didn't find a dime. Now, you, you think, well, I know myself, like yeah. ten, if you ask me, is 10 cents going to tip your life over into being a good life instead of a bad life? You're, you're not going to think that. And yet literally, if you're tested right after that, you, you view your life as better than not. And Well, I think that's just so fascinating because it's, um, it just shows how, one, susceptible we are yeah. um, just to su suggestion. And, and I think we all like to think that we're above that and we're smart people and we're educated and, and I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be one of those people that, you know, simply some, you know, suggestion makes me change my outlook on life. Yeah. Um, but it just shows, again, the laziness of our brains. Yeah. And, 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 we, and we're, we're much more fooled, which of course, advertisers know this and politicians yeah. often know this, but we, we just assume that, no, that's, I'm, I'm a rational being and, and I can't be swayed that way. But, but it, it, he says a number of interesting things, like even just the fact that we only have so much cognitive um, energy. Uh, so for instance, we, we can't focus on two things simultaneously. We, and so what will happen is our brain will tend to focus on whatever we think is most important. And then without even knowing it, our brain will try to, 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 you know, not focus, to kind of uh, zone out of things that we think, well, we'll just go into automatic mode here, like yeah. autopilot, because I've got to really concentrate on this. And so then, of course, they've done a famous study, I'm sure many of our listeners have heard, of, uh, of an experiment where they showed people a video of a basketball game, and the people, half of them are, the whites are playing the dark team. And they said, now... What I, what I want you to do is watch how many times uh, the white players the, the, in the white uniforms uh, pass the ball. Like count how many passes take place between the, the players in the white uniforms. So, and so they, they, they know that that's what they have to focus on. So they're, they're basically, without even thinking about it, they tune out. Every time a team in black uniform has the ball, they don't even pay attention because they just they keep their eye on the white uniforms. And so right in the middle of the whole uh, video, a person literally comes out wearing a black gorilla outfit mm -hmm. and runs into the, the, the picture, uh, but, you know, thumps his chest and then runs off the screen. And like that takes several seconds. Um, and then when they asked people afterward what they saw, they, the, the pe uh, over half the people didn't even see this gorilla. Now, when you watch the video, when, when you're not, you know, if you just watch the video and you, you're not you're not trying to count passes or anything, yeah. then you see it right away. But what that was saying is, but when you start focusing on one thing, 
your mind immediately starts to exclude everything else that's not what you're looking for. Yeah. And of course, that means that you can miss things um, that might be really important. And, uh, and, and people will swear afterward, no, that wasn't in there. I didn't see it. But they don't even realize that they were blind to things that actually would have maybe been important for them to notice. And so they'll say things like, uh, for instance, uh, they'll do studies, uh, I think it was in Israel, where, they were, uh, where there were judges who were going to be hearing about giving parole to, to criminals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so they would, um, and, and so they would, um, people would come up for parole and, uh, and they would turn down, you know, a certain percentage typically got turned down. But then they noticed that, um, that, it, that they, the, the judges would have three kind of meal breaks or breaks during the day, coffee break, whatever they'd go and they'd have a snack or they'd have lunch or, or whatever. And they noticed that for the immediately after they had eaten, they tended to be more positive. They, they actually gave parole to more people right yeah. after their meal break. Now you would say, well, that can't, that can't be, it can't just be that yeah. the people Justice hangs right in the balance af- of, of right the after their hunger. lunch just happen to all be better behaved, you know, inmates who deserving that, like that, it, that can't be the case. So what that means is, although if you ask these judges, did you show any partiality? It, it, no, I was, I, I looked at the facts in every case. I weighed the evidence. I, I, I've been doing this for years. I, you know, I, I know how this works. And yet when they were shown the, the, the study, literally, basically when their sugar levels were back up, uh, when they had replenished their energy supply, they actually made more generous uh, decisions. They were, in, in essence, in a better mood. Yeah. And, and, and they were more lenient in their rulings. And so literally, if you wanted to get parole, you'd want to schedule your hearing for right after lunch. Yeah. And again, if you said this to the judges, they would say, well, no, that's, I, I've been doing this for 30 years. I, but, but even the most experienced judges w- were still susceptible to the same thing. Uh, and so, for instance, they also say just along that line that uh, when, you're, when you're really focusing on uh, something, it's going to take a lot of energy away from you. And so um, what, what they'll say, for instance, is if you've had to just, what, what they would do is, for instance, they do a study where they would make a peop, people have to do sort of a math, mathematical formula that took a lot of concentration to get right. So they would be mentally depleted. And then afterward, uh, they would offer uh, people uh, a snack, and it might either be a piece of really luscious chocolate cake, or it might be some fruit. And these people, even if they had been like on a diet or they were trying to lay off the cake, uh, whatever, they, they found that if you had been depleted uh, mentally ahead of time, you were far, far more susceptible to temptation than if you were you you weren't depleted yeah and i thought that was a very interesting uh insight because of course we know people that have been high up leaders very effective very busy uh and yet in in their busyness they became more susceptible to temptation than they would normally would have been at at their best when they're well rested and so on if a temptation came they might be able to resist it very easily but uh, when they have a lot of pressing thoughts and decisions to be made, 
uh, all of a sudden they don't have the same resistance. And again, they're, they're just doing studies psychologically, scientifically that demonstrate this. And yeah. we, I think perhaps we know that intuitively at one level, but, but he just keeps coming back to say, but we grossly overestimate our ability. Uh, we, we can't do a lot of different things. So what happens is we, we have to let some things go. Yeah. And as, as a leader, you want to be very careful because, of course, if you're letting the wrong things go, either you miss something really important or you succumb to a temptation that at your best you never would have. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, a, it's fascinating studies, and I think it's, it's so applicable uh, to the leader's life. So, you know, uh, things like, you know, have a, have a good meal before yeah. making important decisions and, and uh, know that when you're depleted— um, that uh, you're you're more susceptible. That that can even making those small changes. You know these aren't monumental right. things. And and sometimes if you really and I and I did this I guess in, instinctively at times. If I had been making a lot of administrative decisions and maybe I'd had a difficult meeting with a staff person or something, but then I've got to make an important decision. Uh, you're you're way more likely to just well let's just do it you know I still have my there's some red flags here but let's just get this done I yeah. mean because like he says we we get lazy at a certain point we don't have the energy required yeah. to do the homework and due diligence and of course that's when we're most susceptible and I think we don't we don't think about it but thinking about things and, and making those decisions that that burns calories that yeah. depletes us physically yeah. and uh, and that's that's important to to know when you when you are making decisions um, well let's take a quick break here and we'll wrap up when we come back hello I'm Richard Blackaby I'm the co-author of experiencing God and here at the Blackaby Bible Institute we're offering an online class of experiencing God that people can take from around the world no one had any idea back in 1990 when Experiencing God was first uh, published that it would be so life transforming and that uh, people would experience revival. They'd be set free from burdens they'd carried for years. I can't go anywhere in the world without people telling me how this material has changed their life. And so we offer it as the Blackabees, where we have all kinds of video resources, a live stream where you can submit live questions and uh, get answers from myself and others and uh, just many different resources that will enhance your experience of taking experience in God. So I want to encourage you if you've never taken the class before or even if you have, the Blackbee Bible Institute will offer you more resources uh, than you could have gotten anywhere else. And so we look forward to studying with you and we're praying that it will change your life as you do. Richard, before the break, we uh, talked about some of these studies that uh, Daniel looked at and just showing how susceptible we can be to temptation after, you know, rigorous thought or how uh, how just having a meal before a decision can can uh, have an effect on the on the outcome. Uh, what are maybe just in, in the time we have left some uh, a few other takeaways that you um, got out of this book for leaders and, and maybe just some things you want to highlight. Uh, yeah, there's lots, lots yeah, here. We, that we I, could probably take two podcasts we could. or three on yeah. this book. Yeah, there's uh, so many little studies here that I think just make you think. And he, he talks about what he calls a priming effect, where if you just, whatever you just experienced is going to prime how you respond to something afterward. Right. And, uh, you know, we, we, I touched on that before, but like, for instance, 
if you if they found that if you're going to vote on this maybe there's going to be a a planner like a, a vote on a plebiscite on do, do we want to um raise money for to, to put some more money into the public school system they said if you go and vote at a just a standard polling booth uh, you you might um, just, you know might be about 50 50 people were for it but but if the the vote was held in a school if you're actually in a school then immediate, then automatically votes were more favorable toward voting in favor of that just mm-hmm. by the fact you're in a school uh, now and and so they would and something else they said was interesting was that if you if they did things that for instance um if the, if you had been exposed to images of money uh and then you had to if you've been exposed to money and then you're called upon to maybe make a donation be generous actually they said that you can become less generous uh if you've been exposed to money cuz now you it's on your mind and mm-hmm. you're thinking about how precious it is and and then all of a sudden you're asked to give it away and 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 so they said uh interestingly in our society that we're inundated with thoughts of money all the time always imagery of money talk of money they said we i that is going to have an impact on a culture that is so money focused all the time um and they you know of course there's a a a famous study where in england there was a, a a company and they had a uh, like a lunchroom and and there was a place where you could get tea and coffee and they had a little donation uh, bin and so if you went and got coffee just maybe once a day you you put a donation in there to cover the cost of it and uh, they said now and then what they would do is they would just post a picture of eyes that's all there would be just eyes on a wall looking and so of course you know it's just a picture of eyes it's not someone act there's not a camera there there's no one actually looking at you all you see are just a pair of human eyes looking at you as you're pouring yourself some coffee but they said whenever those eyes were posted donations were higher Mm-hmm. And you just think, now, why would that be? Like, you're whatever you're going to pay, you, you know how much coffee you're drinking or tea you're drinking, and uh, why would suddenly just seeing a, a pair of eyes actually make you uh, give more than if you didn't have those eyes? But uh, and and then they've just said things like, for instance, the last words you hear will affect um, what you do next. Or for instance, if they've said things like they'll show two different sentences and say, which one is true or which one do you think is more true? And if one word is one phrase is in darker print, it automatically looks more true, True. more real, even Mm -hmm. though just simply, or aphorisms, they said, if you, which, which uh, wisdom, ancient wisdom do you think is more true? Well, if the, if the little aphorism rhymed, it just seemed more truthful, more, Mm. more authentic than if it didn't rhyme, which of course means nothing in terms of (laughs) truthfulness, but, uh, or they, they did studies of politicians and they had a way of rating people's faces. Some, some faces just look more honest, you know, maybe the way their nose or chin, they had certain characteristics that apparently just, uh, just gave the appearance of honesty. Uh, and so they said uh, that that people, when they looked at people who won elections and so on, got a higher percentage of the vote. Uh, oftentimes, it had nothing to do with their policies. It just came right down to even people hadn't done the homework. They just liked their face. Um, yeah. And again, it makes you just realize, well, there's a lot of things that 
uh, we can be fooled into. And, and of course, they also just know that if you if you keep hearing something, you begin to think that it's true. Mm-hmm. You, and so, of course, politicians know that. So if they, for instance, if, if they just keep character assassinating their opponent and they just keep saying, well, we know he's a crook, he's a crook, he's, he's dishonest. Well, you may not provided any evidence that he's dishonest, but now they've heard that so many times politicians know that what you keep hearing starts to permeate into your thoughts and you start to accept that to be true. Right. Uh, and, and, uh, and he says some things, for instance, like, um, uh, also j- just a number of things that, I, that really go are sort of counterintuitive. Um, he says, for instance, that, um, that there's a, a regression to the mean. And what he means by that is, uh, he says, for instance, um, that sometimes you'll see, like, say, a basketball player that, boy, I tell you what, he's just the last four shots from the three-point uh, range. He's just just swished it. And so they right away, we, we, we always want to have what he calls an illusion of causality. We want to explain why he just, he's so good right now. And, well, you know, his mother just died last week, and and he's just playing for his mother right now, and he's just inspired, and he's just, yeah. he's on a hot streak. And, uh, and, and this author basically says there's no such thing as, you know, being on a roll or hot. It's what he calls this regression to the mean, which, which what he means is mathematically, uh, he's shooting above average right now, but he'll, he'll start missing a bunch later. Yeah. And at the end of the day, he's going to end up averaging out about what he normally shoots. Um, and so that's why he says, for instance, uh, if you watch a golfer and the first day, there's several that are, are under par by several and there's several that, that golfed over par. He said that you can try to bet on how they'll do the next day. And of course, the people who who are under par, you're going to assume they'll do the same the next day. But he says typically what happens is uh, on that day, they just they they were fortunate. A couple of the rim shots dropped on them. The they drove the ball right when the wind gust had subsided, uh, and so it didn't affect them as much. Uh, and some of the other guys were over par, but we know that they're great golfers. They're world class golfers. They know how to to golf. Uh, but they just you know they had bad luck that day. They just they they rimmed the shot and it, it went out and uh, or whatever. Uh, a wind gust came up just as they drove the ball and it, it knocked theirs off a bit. But the next day, he, he says that over time, they will, it, those who kind of golf better than usual, they'll kind of make their way back to the mean, the average of what they do. And those who were a bit worse than average will do better the next day. And he said, but we, we always want a storyline. Boy, he's on fire. You know, he, this guy is, yeah. uh, and he just says, if you, if you look at the numbers, uh, they don't lie. And, and so he has a very interesting part on just in, uh, investment bankers as well, people that, that do the stock market. And he said that actually he's done a lot of studies of people's accuracy, for instance, when like someone's managing your stock and they sell stock that you have so they can buy other stock. He said that he, and he did, they did massive studies of that and showed that the stock that the brokers sold did better than the stock they bought. And so they, they sold the stock that was going to perform better. And they, instead they bought stock that was going to perform less good. And he says basically for so much of, of course, we, we celebrate and make a big deal when we 
do well. We, we kind of explain away stuff. It wasn't their fault when things right. don't go well. But he said, on average, he said, if you, if you look just over time, over stock, you know, brokers, uh, win loss record, he said, it's not that much better than if you just thrown a dart at a dartboard. And, uh, he said the, and, which is not very comforting, <laughs> but, uh, so he would say that there's a lot of things where it's better, um, to just go with formulas. In fact, it's interesting. He says maybe two last things just to mention in that regard. He says that, uh, for instance, he, he, you can develop uh, a certain grid and say, okay, for someone to do this particular job well, what are the five skills or habits we really need this person to do well? Maybe we need them to have a really successful track record going in. We, we need someone that has good people skills, whatever. You pick the top five skills that you think would be most important for this job. And then you check the resumes, references, and you find the, the people that you think will do best based on your grid. He said, but he said, what happens a lot of times is then we have an interview and he, and mm -hmm. he actually downplays interviews. He thinks it actually mm -hmm. skews things. The, 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 the resume didn't look good, but, but when you talk to the guy, he's quite charming and seemed to really know what he's doing. And so you sort of ignore the evidence and you go with your gut feeling. And he would say far better to, to not even have the interview. Just, just come up with your grid of what you're looking for, then find someone just mathematically that fits the grid the best. And then he also says, if you're going to discuss maybe, uh, in a group, okay, what, what do you think we should do? He says, uh, it's be he suggests it's better to have ever before you ever start talking about it around a board table, have everybody write down based on their study, their findings, what they think you should do. He said, write it down first, because he said, as soon as you start discussing it, yeah. people's opinions get swayed. Uh, someone speaks up first and they're very positive. And so a couple of people that were feeling negative, all of a sudden they start to migrate a bit more toward a positive stance. And he said, typically, he said, the average of a crowd tends to come out more accurately. And so he says, really, the more people involved uh, in making a decision, the better, because he said that the outliers on the extremes are probably going to be either too positive, too negative. But, but typically, he says, just, just mathematically, the, 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 the average somewhere is going to be about the right decision and, yeah. and more cautious. And so he just says, you know, if you're going to face a big decision, don't just let that extrovert just go off right off the bat uh, and then sway everybody else. Find a way to hear from everybody before they've been influenced by the others. Mm -hmm. Because we all just are drawn to some simplistic storyline uh, that sounds good. And, it, and, and he says it's sort of the illusion of causality. We, we, we just, we, we're always looking for a cause. And if his mother died last week and now he's just hit his first three free, you know, three, three point shots, he must be just playing for his mother today. And, and that's just giving him inspiration to make all of his shots. But by the end of the day, it may have all averaged out. Um, but, but we want to find some story that explains yeah. things. And, uh, so, you know, it, it you, you can kind of deaden you at a certain point where you just, <laughs> you almost lose all hope of making a decision because you think I'm an idiot here. I just, I'm swayed by politicians yeah. and by marketers who just play me like a fiddle. But, um, but the fact is, 
that it does uh, help, I think, especially for leaders. To, there's some, he, and he gives some suggestions of ways to protect yourself from bad decisions, just knowing yourself, some ways to safeguard some things. And I guess mostly just don't get overconfident in your yeah. ability. Know your adjust. And, and he has a number of, of places where he'll say even people in his business who make a science of this, they're susceptible as well. And he yeah. gives examples even for himself where he took it hook, line and sinker, just like everybody else. And, um, and you know, and he, and he knew better, but we're human and we, we have this, the system one that just wants to come up with an answer as quickly as possible and move on. And, uh, some of those answers, uh, we should have stayed with it longer, done our homework and, um, and, and not trusted our first instinct as much as we did. Well, like I said, we could probably break this into about two or three podcasts, but, uh, we'll, we'll keep it to one. And, uh, I just, I can't recommend this book enough and it's, it is, it is a, it's a tough read, but <laughs> it's, it's, I just think really insightful. And I think there's, there's lots of nuggets in there that yeah. you can, uh, definitely apply to your leadership and to your life. And, uh, we hope you'll pick up a copy. Uh, as always, we'll leave links in the show notes and until next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.